0: Welcome to Sound Learnings, a podcast about education in audio, music technology and music production, sponsored by Routledge. My name is Tim Canfer. I'm a lecturer, author, musician and tech developer. I love teaching music tech and I love podcasts, so I thought it might be fun to create a podcast about teaching music tech. I initially suggested the podcast to my friend and mentor, It's going to hate me saying mentor, Russ Hepworth-Sawyer who allegedly was thinking along the same lines at the same time. Ross suggested the project to Professor Corolla Bohem, and that makes up the three hosts. I'll drop in a bit of audio from them introducing themselves and pretend like they're here
1: now.
2: Hi, I'm Ross hepworth Sawyer. I'm a mastering engineer by trade, but also I
1: teach part-time. And I'm Corolla Boom. I'm a professor of arts and higher education, but have always been in the music technology field.
0: Here we go. That's the fourth wall, Shattered. I'm recording this introduction in August 2020. We are now five episodes into recording our chats. Some <laughs> really brilliant chats, actually. It's been a lot more fun than I'd expected. The standard format for the other episodes in season one is going to be myself, Russ and Carola chatting to our guests. We've got Tim Spate, some extremely fascinating insights into producing some of the acts he's worked with. He's engineered for McFly and Steps among a whole host of artists. We talked to Stereo Mike about his experiences in Eurovision, hip-hop, education. We talked to Mike Cave of The Loft, who gives, I think, the best formula for success I've heard yet. And then we talked to Bill Evans, executive producer for Flying Colours and general prog rock and tech innovation kingpin. And that's all to come. But for now, season one, episode one. A chat between myself, Russ and Carola. This discussion was recorded in May 2020, in the midst of the pandemic lockdown. So that forms the backdrop for a lot of what we're talking about. The chat starts off discussing recruitment, which will hopefully be just in time if we manage to release this in September. We then go on to discuss two important papers written by Carola about the development of teaching music tech and how that's turned into a discipline in itself. So for now, please enjoy Sound Learnings, Season 1, Episode 1. I suppose we should start with the big fear of international students and how few or many will be joining us. So what do you think, Carola? Yeah,
1: it's an interesting one. I think- to be not as easy an answer as one might think you know we're going to lose of course international students Mm. but it's different for different institutions so it's quite interesting that actually the largest share of the international students of course are going to the old universities the research intensive universities Mm. and they tend to have not as many music production or music technology courses so we'll see how it goes in addition to that of course we're undoubtedly going to go into Some form of economic crisis and some form of recession. Yeah. You know, if you just look at history, that uh, the moment a recession hits, universities tend to actually increase the student numbers because what do you do if there are no jobs? Then you choose to go to university. And of course, again, that's not as simple as that because, of course, there's a student loan book, which we, of course, introduced in the last decades. Yeah. The government might introduce some caps. We'll see. There's not been a lot in the news about that since the end of March that I can
2: find. It should have been passed by now, that law. They were going to do it. That would seem a very sensible way forward, but it is a big pride-swallowing event, given everything to make a marketization of the economy of the higher education, really. so I think one of the big things, really, is going to be the amount of students wanting to defer. That's the big priority on everyone's lips that I'm talking to at the moment. Mm. You, know, are, you know, we're guaranteeing X amount of students. Are we going to get 50% of them, 40% of them? You know, you paint there, Carol, a very good idea. You know, well, I'm going to be sat around for a year at home, bored, or going to have to go and work on a job at a local supermarket, putting myself and my family at risk, which is what a lot of my students are doing at the moment. Or is it a case of sitting around and actually doing something productive, like my degree? That's what we can hope for, I think, for all of us. But um, it's a very interesting time.
1: And I think over the last two months, We've seen arts and creative processes exploding on the internet. You know, it's, it seems that we as humans desperately need art and music in order to stay safe and sane in challenging times. Um, so, I think the experience of doing something creatively online is there. So, the step then to understand that, you know, yes, I will. You know, I'm. You know, if I were a student, a prospective student, yes, I want to go to university. Yes, it might not be the same experience as it was before. But I will engage mentally and creatively with my cohort and it might be partially online, it might be socially distanced. But gosh, if I were a student in front of that choice, I probably would choose to go to university and we'll see Mm. if that plays out like that.
0: Yeah, I suppose there's also the question of how much blended learning is going to become the new normal, certainly for the short term whether that might be a bonus for some students. As you say, they might decide to do that and it might be easier for them. And a lot of institutions are looking at various different models to reduce the necessity for contact. But obviously no one really knows what it's going to look like in September. It's a lot of fingers crossed. What do you reckon?
2: The problem the problem we've got in audio music production and our, what the subject of our podcast is about is that you know, we all teach at some point the nitty gritty of a mixing console. And even if you're lucky enough to have a control room the size of Studio 3 at Abbey Road, which is blooming ginormous with a big SSL in, you're still realistically giving two metres apart from any student to any staff. You're only going to get three or four students around that console properly, legally, Mm. at any one time. So the challenges for music production specifically, if you're actually talking about practical work, is enormous. And similarly, Mm. it's got to be the same for the sciences with labs. It's got to be the same with know anything else that has human contact i think this is where carola going back to her comment about the older universities this is where they can win because they do run what carola would call 1.0 lectures that are given straight out from a lecturer it doesn't matter if that's recorded and let's face it most institutions are recording their lectures anyway so that students can gain access to them at other times anyhow so to them in those standard, uh, traditional modes of delivery. They kind of sit there. So the blended point you're making, Tim, is kind of interesting. And it's really getting the thinking caps on, I think, for uh, our peers everywhere at the moment.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's going to be very interesting to see how the students react to that. And obviously the big thing that everyone's interested at the moment, certainly education, is, is the numbers. Where are the numbers going to lead us?
1: Yeah, I already see... That there will be a sort of internal competition that, you know, the old universities will want to compensate their loss of international students with local UK students. And, um, will we have safety guards, uh, in place for that so that that doesn't happen extensively? Um, because, you know, we, we actually, you know, we need to work on this together. You know, in, in some ways, one of the biggest things that I felt we lost through the marketization of higher education was this feeling of unity or this feeling of collaboration across the whole sector. Absolutely. Uh, because we've been put into this situation where we are all competing with each other for the students. Well, isn't it
2: interesting? The un- institutions are competing for the students, yet we from three different HE uh, yes. ponds, are collaborating <laughs> here right now. Actually... To rephrase what you said, Carola, and put it more pragmatically, is the marketing departments of the universities are fighting with each other. The academics haven't changed in any way, shape, form. We're still writing papers together, books <laughs> together, still going to conferences, having a laugh together, um, if I'm allowed to say that, you know, when we are allowed to do such things, of course. There are colleagues who have done a big IASPM thing this week online, I think, or last week, proper online conferences, looks very good from the outskirts. So, you know, there's things going on the marketization has bigger ramifications for us going forward than just this current crisis. But I think it could be very interesting how it reshapes not only the way we deliver the new normal we've talked about, but the way in which the sector itself functions within society.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. There's this really interesting tension between what you you expect as senior management. We know we need students for us. As you say, these are not our competitors. These are our collaborators. Hopefully, we can encourage our students to have a similar outlook as well so that they can collaborate with other students from other institutions.
2: Mm. Absolutely.
0: That leads us to our own institutions plans, doesn't it? Within a HENFE environment, we're very much looking at taking a lot online. Not all of it, but a lot. Is that reflected in your institutions?
1: Yeah. And when you were talking about blended, I'm just wondering, you know, does that word mean anything anymore? (laughs) It's (laughs) it's quite old. It's like... I assume you all have a Moodle or a mm. Blackboard or you use MS Teams, you know. There's all sorts of blendedness, which is so common now that, yeah. you know, a course which <laughs> wouldn't have that would actually stand out. It's like the old music technology, The coming back to our sort of subject matter. Mm. A, a former colleague of mine actually talked to me about the time before I actually joined higher education. So the early computer music time. And he actually mentioned that at that time, most music departments felt music technology was the Trojan horse, which came into the music departments because suddenly keyboards cost money and computers cost money and that took away money from pianos. And I have a feeling the sort of blendedness, it's now so integrated, we don't have to name it anymore.
2: Yeah, I think that would be fair, especially when I was teacher training, when I did um, further research 15 years ago blended was the thing and getting into your virtual learning environments and doing online this that and the other there were educational needs for it but what we found or i certainly found over the last decade is that some of those blended approaches then don't actually engage students now today especially when they're faster Mm. than we are in the social media domain their ability of social media and things is surpassed whatever digital native was, they surpassed that too. Blended, I think, it feels to me, has got a new term and new knowledge now in the sense that blended now means that we absolutely have to be dealing with online delivery. That's how it feels to me as an online delivery with some meetings, with social distancing. That's how blended as a term seems to have been adopted rather than it being its true meaning as before.
1: And we shouldn't forget that blending is one thing, but good pedagogy online is another. That's a whole nother Uh issue. Blended might just, you know, somebody might just record their normal lecture on a second rate computer and just put it all online and thinking that that would be okay. That's absolutely it. I think
2: any of our peers who were... Overnight, when the government decided we were doing this, overnight we're going, right, well, I've still got a few weeks of lectures still to do. How are we going to deliver this? Well, you've got to put them all online. I'm stuck at home. My gear's all at work. Have you got a camera? Have you got a computer with a decent webcam? Have you got a microphone still at home to do this with? You know, and I dare say, many colleagues who aren't in an audio-based environment, and we probably struggle with the video editing because it's a bit alien. was certainly a bit alien to me. But the audio stuff, no problem. Imagine if you're a a standard (laughs) humanities lecturer or maths Mm. lecturer who's not into this stuff. The learning curve, and I know certain colleagues of ours don't even have computers at home. They come to work, bash away at the PC, go home and play on their iPad. Wow, how are they? getting through their work outside of the gauge of this podcast there's a lot of um, really interesting discussions to be had and changes to learning working practices which i think for us is quite interesting but i'll shut up now no it's a good
1: point do we need a term because it's all learning it's all in some ways it's also an environment where we curate or where we facilitate the learning and whether that is technologically supported whether the learning environment is a studio whether that's an online environment it's just a different kind of space
0: absolutely we're going to be looking at a particular theme because when we're going to talk to our guests, the theme will be based around their own particular field of expertise. For the moment, we're going to be discussing two articles that are particularly close to our hearts.
1: (laughs) They're close to our heart because we wrote them.
0: (laughs) Nepotism, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) So, We have an article called The Discipline That Never Was, Current Developments in Music Technology and Higher Education in Britain. Carola wrote this in 2007 within the first volume of the Journal of Music, Tech and Education. And 11 years after that, Carola and Russ worked together in the discipline that became Developments in Music Technology and Music Production. We're going to discuss this Carola, can you introduce us to the first article and just give us an idea of where it was and what it's moved on to?
1: Yeah, it might be useful to say it's not just nepotism that we put the two <laughs> articles on there, which are authored by ourselves. It were the articles that brought us together as well, you know, that that mm. um, allowed us to understand what happened in 10 years of this subject area that we are all passionate about. And at the time I was teaching at Glasgow University. And the interesting part of that was that I was salaried from the engineering department and I was teaching in the computing science department, in the music department, and in the engineering department. So our students came from all over the place, but it created that question for me of why why was it so hard to work in this interdisciplinary field as a young lecturer passionate about uh, her area? And that was the, the sort of driver for me to look at music technology as a case study of how interdisciplinarity um, as a phenomena in higher education actually evolves. And of course mm. the question of does an interdisciplinary area always remain interdisciplinary or does it become at some point a discipline in itself? So if we think about computing science for instance, you know, computing science started off between physics and maths and at some point mm. it was its own discipline. That sort of got me started with this paper which was actually funded by Palatine, which was a HEA music subject,
2: yep.
1: higher education academy subject area that facilitates learning and teaching in higher education. And I interviewed, I went to something like 60 different institutions and interviewed lecturers around the area of do they feel music technology is an interdisciplinary area? I looked at terminology. And I also did a UCA study where I just downloaded a lot of data and looked at how many degrees are called what, hmm. how many BScs and BAs. So that was the background to the paper. And actually, I have to say, it surprised me that it was so well received and that it was cited.
2: Yeah, it really was. It was brilliant in so many ways. It was the first ever JMT, Journal of Music Tech Education, And it was in there, and it's the first paper in that particular one, I think. It kind of lays the groundwork and introduces to the general readership anyway, this is what's been going on, and this is where we're starting. And it lays its foundation very well. It has been cited very well, if you're into this kind of stuff. And was the real spearhead for us to do the one should have been 10 years which is why tim giggled because i was pulling a face um (laughs) it should have been 10 years but the way in which the production cycles of journals happen it turned out to be 11 years which was a bit of a shame nevertheless we got it out in the end and it sort of maps the changes and the differences and i think what would probably be worthwhile is explaining why we chose to do that i teach mostly music production rather than music technology if indeed there is a difference and i was anecdotally assuming and believing that music technology was dying and music production was taking over and the research that we did because that spurred it on we found out that actually i wasn't quite right at all and (laughs) music technology is still king music production has grown exponentially in that time as a term as a field but it does really talk back to a very original time around 2007 when Carolyn did that paper and mark thorley and a few others and steve parker we're all working in similar sort of fields, looking at the industrial relationship between music technology and the field and how it works. And as a term, I always repeat Mark Thorley, have you ever met someone whose job title is music technologist? And the chances are, as 't think Carol quotes, no. Again, when we're talking about marketization of higher education, we should be teaching in inverted commas here vocationally focused courses because of metrics because of of data but yet we still teach subjects that don't have a job at the end that's a spurious question for another time <laughs> i think this is where we are and this is what the impetus was for where we are i'll leave you to it guys
0: now it leads us to a very interesting question about the skill set that gets taught within a music technology and or a music production course and what that leads you to and Whether you need to have an immediate, you know, I'm going to study law, so I'm going to be a lawyer, full stop, or whether the value in the entire skill set is transferable to a wider interdisciplinary set of subjects.
2: Well, I really think it is. Only today we're doing work and trying to welcome our new intake earlier. We know vaguely those have accepted places and we're trying to make them feel welcome. Mm. And they're asking us, what kind of things do our students do? And I'm listing students that go into video, that go into radio, that go to a a completely wide area. They're not really using audio skills, but they're using skills in management, in all kinds Mm. of kind of So clearly we must be doing some of those things that, you know, Carola talks around in 2007, the interdisciplinary stuff that comes into the field, which is much greater now, certainly in the research we did for years back. It's certainly working and certainly Mm. we make employable people. I wonder if anyone's put any work in
1: on that, Carola? Yeah, I think it comes back to the question of this conceptualization that I've created, this university 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. And in a nutshell, 1.0 is universities at a time like I was in the early 90s teaching acoustics with large lectures. I was transmitting knowledge that was gained within the university system. So that's, you know, we fully owned the knowledge. And also when you look at how higher education was structured, you had music departments which covered 20th century, the 19th and 18th century, Renaissance and medieval times and ancient music. And you had the perception that you could cover the whole discipline and put a border around it. And that was the discipline, a corpus of knowledge mm. 2.0 of course is the marketization of higher education where we started you know first of all the knowledge domains were expanding and all the music technology was expanding and suddenly you see this paper was written in that beginning of that time where you suddenly see the number of names increasing because we as academics curated what knowledge would be useful for those learners and future talent that goes out in the industry or into culture so we curate these subject matters. And we decide the names that best fit them. And I now suggest, well, but that's the present. And then that's what we have now. But actually, in the future, we now live in a Knowledge Society. That's University 3.0 in my contextualization. And there, we don't own the knowledge anymore. We facilitate the learning or we curate the environment in which learning happens. And knowledge is all around oh. us. So students come to us and whereas in the beginning of my career, I could have said what dithering is. And nobody else knew I was the only person who could tell them what dithering is. If I do that now, they laugh me out of the classroom because they just take one second to get that information, what that actually is. So the facilitation of learning something different. So we focus on the environment and with that environment comes then the permeability of the university. So the industry comes in. We want to make partnerships with industry so that we allow students to already permeate through university into the industry. And by the time they leave us, they're networked in. And I think that's University 3.0. That's that's the future. Mm. and in, in University 3.0, are you thinking
2: about the student experience in the sense that what universities become? And I know there's a lot of rhetoric gone on about it's all about student expectations, student experience, the flipped classroom and so on. Mm. But actually, is it about the experience that we give in the classroom, the discussion, the things that have been taken almost for granted a little bit, the seminar-style teaching compared to the hard fact of the lecture in University 1.0. The seminar, even in that model, is where the work's happening. For our context, it's about us working in our very small seminar groups. We call them supervisions, almost like PhD supervision, where we're really dissecting their music, working with them on an individual or very small group basis. Is that what people are going to be paying for through a £9,000, £10,000 degree in 3.0? Or is it are they going to be happy as we're being led to expect to just pay online for a nine thousand pound degree without that human direct one to one
1: contact? Well, the first question that I would ask is, do we want to live in a society where we have nine thousand pound fees?
0: Yeah, quite.
1: That's a question for yeah. us. You can hear I'm not quite British. My accent indicates that slightly, <laughs> but Germany, except for Bavaria, doesn't have fees. They just you know they tried it and they said no. We're not going to have fees. It's still a public good, a public domain. And that puts it into a completely different kind of context. But having said that, I think on the one hand, yes, I, I agree. It's as simple as that, that learning happens when mind meets mind. So what kind of environment do you put around that two minds can engage in a discourse that allows learning to happen also at a lecturer level? We all learn just at different levels. You know, I might be more yes. experienced than somebody else, but I can learn as much from the less experienced learner by understanding how they learn. But having said that, coming back to the question of large lectures, I still believe that, and I have to admit, I do love large lectures. And I think what hasn't been considered, yes, it's it's sort of a typical 1.0 type of teaching method, one could suggest, but there's actually a psychology that is conducive to learning when you go into a lecture. And I think that is sometimes not considered when you look at the effectiveness of the learning environment, that when you go with 500 people into a room and there's one professor at the front you really think, wow, this is not school. And that psychology opens you up to be learning process that is different from when you go and have a one-to-one session and that might be a very personal relationship, but it might be a different type of relationship as listening to that one person in the front.
0: Yeah, that relates to the excellent article that you wrote in the Innovation and in Music book, which is one of the other things that brought us together, isn't it? Because Russ is one of the key members of the Innovation and in Music conference, and Corolla's paper, The End of a Golden Era of British Music, Exploration of Educational Gaps in the Current UK Creative Industry Strategy.
2: Yeah, if I cut in, so much has changed since that was published. It's mm. mad how fast things have gone. You know, if you think even current times, but even in the industry strategy, things have changed so dramatically.
1: Yeah, but they're still believing into, let's build the next Hollywood or the next Sony in (laughs) London. The government is all about that. And actually, technology has moved on. Look, we're podcasting.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we are. It comes back to marketization, doesn't it? I think for the moment, at least... It seems to me that the ship has sailed on fees for the moment as much as I would very much love to change that without getting too political.
2: I'm not so sure.
0: <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I hope I'm wrong.
2: Can I interject, him? Whilst we don't want to be political in what we're discussing, I do think mm. it's an important thing to raise, and it does lead directly to the conversation we're having about marketization in Carolus 2.0. Mm. It is it is a big problem, the McDonaldization of uh, higher education, I've forgotten the lady who wrote the paper, I think it's lady. Um that I'll find it in future, maybe we'll put it up in the notes. There has been a severe marketization. People expect things that aren't necessarily what they should be. I think it has had a very interesting effect on how HE is being delivered, what's being offered, and I do think a lot of severe questions do need to be asked. Mm. whilst it might be not something we should be discussing it has a, an effect both on the student emotionally and so on but also on us yeah. as teachers
1: i think you know as we know money talks and uh i think quite soon we will find out that the marketization of higher education is more expensive than our prior system because the student loan book is is oh yeah it's you know going all over the place at the moment we'll see where that goes i think there are people who say the same thing, they say the fees will never go away again, and there are the others who, from my perspective, have a bit more hopeful view (laughs) that we might come back to this notion of we need a bit more state, we need more public domain, we need more public goods and knowledge institutions are so crucial to our economy, to our society, to our health systems, to our politics, that we'll, we'll see where
0: I completely agree. What we've seen is students becoming consumers and units of funding, which, which yeah. is not helping at all. Okay, excellent. Now, there was a suggestion that we finish off with a beef of the week, preserve. Anything apart from marketization in education, anything particularly, <laughs> anything a little less divisive that we could maybe, <laughs> maybe go for. What do you reckon?
2: Oh, I don't
1: know. Carol has got something, I think. I think so. It was the audio versus video world. Now that we're all doing zooming <laughs> and Microsoft Teams and, uh, Jitsi and even Discord, yeah. my, you know, 17 year old yep. son taught me how to use Discord. So I attended a <laughs> ceramics crafts group on Discord. And, um, so we're all becoming really, really good. However, well, is this the time for audio? Because we know that Zoom, for instance, prioritizes video over audio. So the audio goes all over the place to the extent that some choir, some community choirs, when they practice, they just leave the video on and they don't even put the audio on. And I just think, Hey, it's a choir. You know, what, what are you doing? <laughs> but I can understand yes. it automatic cannons i like yeah. it it's good <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> but of course when you do it in zoom it doesn't work because there's so much latency there's so much manipulation of the audio time frame that you can't synchronize so i guess the question is is this the time that people will listen up and say oh we need to, <laughs> to rise up yes we need to do something about the audio
0: you're definitely yeah. not going to get any disagreement within <laughs> music and production, but I, I worried it might be a little bit like the lossy debate where you go to an audio conference and everyone's tearing their hair out about lossy, but no one else outside <laughs> the building <laughs> seems to care. You
1: don't know what it means. <laughs> you don't know what you're losing. Just
0: Google ghost in the
2: MP3. for can't say. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and they're walking past listening to a speaker in the bottom of their phone. Yeah, exactly exactly. 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 That's another debate for another time. Well, we, can
0: do, we can save that one because that's a big one. Maybe that could be the ongoing beef of the week. Lack of lossless.
2: Perhaps what we should do is we should have an assessment of which um, systems are good for this and not good for this. And, uh, you know, Discord versus Teams versus, <laughs> versus Google's Google's now meets that is – much poorer. I tried a class thing on meat this week. That wasn't a good idea. Audio movers, there's, there's some key developments I really want audio movers to do. make it
1: two way, but they're
2: not at the moment. It's very much one way. <laughs> um, anyway, never mind.
1: And of course, you know, it brings us all to maybe mentioning some of the technology that we're using. We're using Squadcast, which of course has prioritized mm. audio and it has gone down quite well. So we rather lose the video rather than the audio. I realized that a moment ago. I went completely dark. My laptop went to sleep, but the audio was going on.
0: It was. We saw that and no one panicked. It was great.
2: <laughs> and everyone can tell that the video's lagging because when we're interrupting each other,
0: then yeah. <laughs> 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 and on that note, shall we wrap it up there? Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Sound Learnings podcast. As mentioned, A brief description of the software systems that we've used for podcasting. I should start with our main collab tool. We started using Microsoft Teams, but due to cost and issues of switching organisations, we did a quick pivot a few weeks back, and we're now using Slack for communication, Google Drive and Calendar for cloud storage, and planning, respectively. These seem to be the best fit for us, organisation-wise. As Corolla mentioned, we record using Squadcast, although most of the host audio is recorded locally. Russ cleans up any audio that needs it using Isotope RX. I edit and mix the podcast using Pro Tools and compose the music using a guitar, Ableton Live and a bunch of synth plugins. Russ then masters the podcast using Pyramix. Corolla takes care of our show notes and social media. Our preferred platform is Twitter. The podcast is hosted by Acast. If you've enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review if the podcast app that you use allows it. Otherwise, please give us a shout on your favourite sharing platform. Either way, it really helps for others to find out about the podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter, at SoundLearnings. Goodbye for now.
2: Bye. Bye.